Well, welcome to Sojourn. Uh, so glad to gather with you this morning. It's a beautiful day outside. As Theodore said, it's Palm Sunday, a time when we celebrate the coming of Christ into Jerusalem, heading up to the week of his crucifixion and then resurrection. And so next week, as a church, we'll celebrate Easter together, that Christ is risen. And so if this is your first time here, I hope you'll come back next week and gather with us to celebrate Easter. And for those at Sojourn is your church, we're just looking forward to gather together as brothers and sisters in community to celebrate uh, that Christ is alive. And so we're just good to gather this morning to worship together, to sing songs about God and to Him, and just to hear voices raised up together in community. And so it's always a joy for me to gather with you. So grateful to be here this morning. We're going to be in the scriptures as we are every week. And so if you need a copy of the Bible this morning, would you just raise your hand? Of a couple of guys bring those around to you. I uh, would love for you to be able to read along with us this morning. We're going to be in the book of Psalms, uh, and we're going to be in Psalm 133 in particular. So you can even go ahead and flip open to that psalm. And if you don't actually own a copy of the Bible, please feel free to take that with you. That's our gift to you. We want you to be able to have God's Word throughout the week. That's why we have them, uh, is so that you can take that home with you. So to begin our time this morning, let's just actually go ahead and flip open to that. We're going to go ahead and read Psalm 133, uh, and then we're going to pray just that the Lord would calm and quiet our souls before Him, and that we might be attentive to the Holy Spirit this morning. So let's read Psalm 133 and then go to the Lord in prayer. David writes this psalm, as he did the one we looked at last week. It's a few short verses, so let's read them. David writes this, this is God's word to us this morning. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we pray just to begin that you would calm and quiet our souls. Whatever kind of week we've had, maybe how this month has been going, maybe how this year has started off, there's turmoil within, there's distraction, there's despair, there's just a lot going on. And so I just pray now that as we come to your word, that you would calm and quiet our soul because we're in your presence. That you as a good father allow us to come into your presence through Christ, Christ, your son. And so Lord, we just recognize that. We acknowledge that together before you and pray that you would calm and quiet us before you, that we might be attentive to what you would have to say to us this morning. As we gather together, not as a a bunch of disconnected individuals sitting in seats in a middle school cafeteria, but as a family, as a body, as brothers and sisters, as guests that are gathered here this morning, that we would sit here together hearing from you. That you, believing that you have something to say to us this morning. And so Lord, we're expectant, we're hopeful. And I pray that you would help me by the power of your Holy Spirit, not by anything that I have to say on my own, but by the power of your Spirit working in me and through me, that you would bless our church this morning, that you would encourage our hearts this morning, that you would convict us, that you would bring us to a place of repentance where that's needed, and that you would help us to slow down in our lives and see the gift that you've given us by having one another. And so, Lord, in the midst of a hurried culture, in a hurried life, would you help us just to slow down right now, to rest in this moment, and bless us because we're here this morning. And we pray that you'd be honored by that, you'd be glorified by that. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. My family and I uh, moved into the house that we live in now about three years ago. And man, we really love just living in Fairfax. We live right in the city of Fairfax, and it's just a joy. And days like today, one of my favorite things is just to drive around the city with my windows down 
and just look around and be like, man, I'm so thankful that I get to live here. It's just a blessing to be in this area, that God has called us, allowed us to be here in Fairfax. Our house, like many in the city of Fairfax, was built a long time ago in the 1950s. And so we, we enjoy where we live, uh, and one of the things we enjoy is just the people we get to live around, that we can walk a few different places and just have a sense of neighborhood and community there. My next door neighbor is an older couple. They're in their, their late 70s, uh, Dwayne and Kathy. And they're a great couple. They're kind. They're gentle. They love to see our kids run in front and back and, front, uh, back and forth in front of our two houses, just playing and having a good time. And they're just a great, great neighbors to live next to. Dwayne is retired. He loves to work in his yard. Always trying to tease him, man, you can come over and work in my yard if you've got some time. Uh, but he loves to do that. It's just good to be outside and hang out with them every once in a while. But the crazy thing to me is that Dwayne and Kathy have lived in their house for 50 years. 50 years they've lived in that place. They weren't the original owners, but like two or three years after that house was built, they moved in. And, and that's pretty unheard of here in Northern Virginia. So many of us are, are transplants to here. We, we didn't grow up here. Maybe if we grew up here, we, didn't, we weren't born here. We moved here. Something brought us here. And so, so many of us are transplants to this area, which makes this area just a transient kind of place. So to have someone that has lived in Northern Virginia, in Fairfax for 50 years, I can't even imagine all of the things that they have seen over this course of time that they've been in this one place. But for many of us, we can't resonate with that. We don't know what that's exactly like. Most of us in this room are not even 50 years old. So to think about being in one place for that long is pretty amazing. Many of us, like I said, moved here because of work or school or some other reason. And because of that, in this culture, in this area in particular, I think oftentimes we can lack a sense of of rootedness. We can lack a sense of connectedness. We can lack a sense of permanence and place. And on top of that, we live in an interesting time and an interesting culture. Even though most of us, when we're here in this Northern Virginia, Fairfax County area, we're surrounded by so many people that many of us often feel alone. We feel isolated. And social media doesn't help. Social media gives us the appearance of, it gives us the the superficial feeling of connectedness. We can look and see we have so many friends on Facebook or Instagram or whatever other social media tool that you use, but at the same time, again, we still feel empty at times and disconnected because the reality is those relationships are just two-dimensional and really kind of pseudo-relationships at that. On top of that, in the midst of our hurried lives, We find it difficult to connect with others in a deep and meaningful way. And I think the reason for that is that real relationship, meaningful relationship and friendship takes time and it takes effort. If we're going to have deep, meaningful relationships with one another, it can't just be liking something on Instagram. There has to be more to it than that. But that takes time and it takes effort for us to have that. But the problem is, so often we feel like we have no time and we're tired from all the effort we've put in at work or taking care of our family. But here are two things, two things that I want us to consider this morning as we get into our text. Two things that I think really kind of set the stage for us before we get into Psalm 133 this morning. The first is this. According to Acts chapter 17, God has sovereignly and providentially put you in the place that you live and work. Acts 17, verses 24 through 28, the Apostle Paul is preaching to the people in Athens, and he says this, these people who are seeking God, this is what Paul has to say to him. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. 
And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. And then he says this, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. That, for this reason, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet, he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being What the Apostle Paul is saying there is that where you live and move and have your being is determined by God. What that means is you are not in Northern Virginia by accident. You are not in Northern Virginia by happenstance. You are here on purpose and because of providence. The second thing, if you are in Christ, if you have a relationship with Jesus by faith, then you belong to or are a part of the people of God. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10, Peter is reflecting on what Christ has done for him and for God's people. And he's reflecting on life before Christ and life after Christ. And this is what he says, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What that means is if you're apart from Christ, if we're disconnected from him, if we don't have faith in Jesus, then we are still in our sin. Our sin, our rebellion against God, our desire to be the Lord of our life, the King of our life, the ruler of our life, the God of our life. And that separates us from God. It means apart from Christ then, you are a disconnected individual. Why? Because that's what sin does. It isolates and it breaks down relationships. Namely, primarily, first and foremost, with the God of all creation. That because we've sought to rebel against Him, we're separated from Him. But it's not just with Him, it's with others also. Sin is deceptive and destructive. But, if you are in Christ, you are formed together as a people. And it gets even more personal than that. You're not just deformed together as a people. You're actually adopted into God's family. You're brought into relationship with him. And Jesus, your brother, has purchased that for you. The Son of God has made a way for God to be your father and every other redeemed follower of Jesus to be your brother and your sister. He did this when he went to the cross with joy set before him. As he walked into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday when people were praising him for who he was and who he is, he knew what was before him, that he would go to a cross, that he would die a painful and brutal death for you, for me. He did it with joy to bear the punishment for your sin in order that you might be reconciled to God. He restores what your sin destroyed. But the beauty of this reconciliation with God is that it also allows you to be reconciled to one another. To see broken relationships restored. To see people who are so different from you. Who come from a different background. Who have a different skin color. Who have a different upbringing. Who have different views on life. To see us come together as a family to be reconciled to one another. This means that Christian community is a gift to us made possible only in and through and by Jesus. The gospel, what Christ has done for us, forms a family. That in and of itself is a blessing because not all earthly families are blessings. Some of us have had great experiences with our earthly families and others of us haven't. A lot of families are broken. A lot of families have dysfunction to them. And so no matter what your family experience happens to have been, what Christ has done is made us a family. And what that means is that how we interact with one another, how we love one another, how we care for one another should look different and be different even in a hurried culture. We get to be a family with one another. And do you see that as a gift? That we get to be a family And let me just say this this morning, if you are looking for a place to belong, maybe you're not a follower of Jesus, or maybe you're just trying to find a church community to be a part of, if you're looking for a people to belong to, 
that my hope is that this place, these people sitting around you can be that for you. So when we take these two things together, that God has providentially appointed the time and place in which you live and move and have your being, and that you are saved into a redeemed family, it's not a matter then of if you are connected to one another or if you should have relationships with one another amidst a busy and hurried life, but how? How will we be connected to one another? How will we have relationships with one another amidst a busy and hurried life here in Northern Virginia? And really, this is a matter of life and death because isolation is deadly for you and for me. So with that in mind, as we come to our text this morning and walk through Psalm 133, just these three short verses, what I want us to do is first to see the beauty and necessity of a gospel-formed family and gospel-wrought unity. And then I'm going to walk us through three application points to help us live out the practice of family in a hurried culture, in a hurried life. As we jump into verse 1, we see this psalm really starts off with a bang. David says, behold, behold, he's giving a a declaration and a directive. He's saying, look, look and see, take notice. And what is he calling God's people to? What is he calling us to see? He says, how good, how pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. When brothers, when brothers and sisters, when God's people dwell in unity. To dwell means to live among, to be around, to be with one another. So this is not a a casual or distant relationship. It's a relationship of close proximity, both physically and relationally. But it isn't just dwelling that's good and pleasant. We can live around people. We all live around people now. It's not just that. It's not just the physical presence. He calls us to dwell together in unity. And so this is about community. It's about connectedness. It's about togetherness and harmony with one another. There's a common bond, a common purpose, a common direction. There's an aspect of commitment to one another and the commonality and togetherness. And this is what allows there to be unity and harmony amidst relational and physical closeness. So what is the bond and direction that David's talking about? David's original audience would be rehearsing this song as they traveled to Jerusalem for a season of sacrifice to go to the temple to worship God. We've looked at several of these psalms through this series. They're called Song of Ascents as they're making their way to Jerusalem, as they're traveling to this place. And I imagine David being in Jerusalem, sitting back and observing these people coming together to worship, and he's just blown away by it. As he's looking out, seeing thousands upon thousands of people entering into the city for worship, to come before the living God and worship him, that he's just taking the back, that people are coming from all over the place. And he's sitting there and he's blown away by this. Maybe they're sitting on the hillsides, maybe they're sitting in the town and they're taking a break and taking a rest, and he's just looking around and awestruck that the family of God is gathering together to worship the living God. And he steps back and he says, this is amazing. How good, how pleasant is this when these brothers, these sisters, this family of God are dwelling together in unity. They're with one another, unified together to worship God. It's a picture of biblical unity. But biblical unity doesn't mean conformity. It doesn't mean uniformity. They're not bound together by type. That they all look alike, they all have the same interests, they're not bound together by affinity. No, biblical unity happens because of the common covenant relationship they have with God. That God declared to them that he will be their God and they will be his people. And that makes them then a covenant community. Then he says to them, it is good, so good, it is desirable when brothers and sisters dwell in unity, it is pleasant exceedingly pleasant. It's delightful when brothers and sisters dwell in unity. So verse 1 of this psalm is really the kind of the crux of, of all that David is saying here. 
And then he gives these two analogies, these two pictures of why this is a blessing, why this is good and pleasant. The first thing he says is, it's like the precious oil on the head, running down the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. Now, at first glance, you might think, well, that's kind of weird. Why is that connected to community here? What's David even talking about? What he's talking about is when Moses anointed Aaron back in the book of Leviticus to be high priest over God's people. And the high priest served in a role to minister and represent the people of God to to God and God to the people. And it was this time of worship that he's thinking about this. And so to do this, Moses poured oil, sanctifying oil on Aaron's head as a symbol of the fact that he was being set apart for this particular role. And so he poured, the, poured this oil on his head. And so the picture is he's pouring it, and it, pouring it and it's trickling down his beard and it's going down his beard onto the collar of his robe. We don't know maybe if Moses was getting kind of crazy and poured a little too much, but I don't think that's the point. I think the point is there's a lavishness to this pouring out. That as it goes down, it starts to permeate all of who Aaron is. When my boy's hair is crazy and messy, and they've gotten up in the morning and they've got, I call it chicken hair, they've just got like hair sticking up here. I'm like, all right guys, we got to comb the hair. And so I spray water on their hair and they don't particularly like it because it starts to drip down their head onto their neck. It's kind of the same thing here. They're, They're He's putting something on his head and it's just trickling down all over him. It's this picture of this, this, this lavishness here of this blessing that he's given to him. And so he's comparing this to the goodness of togetherness. So what's he trying to get at here? He's saying biblical community that's marked by unity, it's precious. It's a gift. It's, it's a setting apart. It's holy. It's lavish. It's special. It's otherworldly. And then he gives a second picture. He says that biblical community, unity, is like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion. That's what's going on here. Hermon is a mountain in the northern part of Israel, and Zion is where Jerusalem is, which is further south. And so he has this picture that dew from one mountain travels to the other. This resource goes from one mountain to the other. This heavy dew travels and transfers. And so the resource of one place is serving for the flourishing of another. David's saying biblical community marked by unity is like that. It's refreshing. It's mutually beneficial. It's giving. It's a blessing. It's life-giving. And then he says this, for there the Lord, there Yahweh has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. So where is the there that he's talking about? Well, it's really twofold. It's there in family unity and in Zion. It's there where God's people are gathered together to give and receive blessing and to be and partake of blessing. And so his point in all of this is that biblical community wrought by grace, formed by grace, of deep abiding relationship is a lavish, life-giving blessing to God's people. Sojourn, just like God's people then, we are God's people now. We are a covenant community, not based on affinity or similarity, but built and rooted and formed by the good news of the gospel. See, this song is sung as the people are traveling to Jerusalem to the temple. As I said, for a season of sacrifice because of sin, But this is something they have to do over and over again. You have to go make sacrifice over and over again because sin remains and the sacrifices are not sufficient to take away sin once and for all. But in doing that, they looked forward to a day when there would be one who could do that. To a redeemer, to a rescuer who would come. And Zion was the place of promise, the city of God, where he would rule and reign and where his people would gather together in unity and praise, in harmony and peace forever and ever. So every time they went, every time they thought about that, they looked forward to that day in hopefulness and expectation. But you and I, sitting here today, in April of 2017, as we even get ready to celebrate Easter can look back and say it has come and is coming. 
See, the blessing for God's people then and now, dwelling together with a common purpose, a common goal, and a common vision is found in Zion, not at the temple where sacrifice was repeated, but the cross where sacrifice was completed once and for all. So that means our unity with one another is possible because of our union with Jesus, the fact that we're connected to him. Remember, sin separates and it isolates and it destroys, but Christ redeems and restores. Community is life-giving and possible because of the life we have been given. This alone is what makes us brothers and sisters. This alone is what makes us family together. By His shed blood, Jesus purchased community and unity for us. And in Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul calls us and tells us to maintain that unity. To maintain, it's already been purchased for it. Now we get to and have the privilege of maintaining that unity with one another. And so what that means is, is that for you and for me right now together, we are a family positionally with one another. We are brothers and sisters in Christ if we are in Christ. It doesn't matter what kind of background you come from, whether Your ethnicity is different or the same as the people around you, what your gender is, your socioeconomic status, or your political views, or your personal preferences. The body of Christ is multifaceted. It's multi-generational. It's multi-ethnic. And we should celebrate those things. We should long for those kinds of things. And that's only possible because of Jesus. You know what? When the world looks at that and it sees it, it scratches its head and it says, that shouldn't be. Those groups of people shouldn't get along. You know what? They're right. We shouldn't. But we can because of what Christ has done for us. This kind of unity in the midst of a broken world is only possible because of the redeeming work of Jesus. And so now, you and I find ourselves in a crazy, mixed up, jacked up world that's busy and hurried. And we find ourselves in this place on a journey. A journey to the new Jerusalem, to the celestial city of common, eternal dwelling with our God and with one another. Will there be no more sin and no more shame, but perfect harmony and perfect peace. And church, we are on the way together, but we're not there yet. That's why Paul encourages and exhorts us in Romans chapter 15, something we read this past week in community Bible reading. The Apostle Paul says this in in chapter 15 of the book of Romans. He says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, And then he says this, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. To maintain the family unity that Jesus has purchased for us, it requires effort. It requires intentionality. It requires sacrifice. It requires a work of the Holy Spirit. It requires us to slow down. So how can you and I, how can we together strive to do this, to embody the glorious picture of gospel unity in community that David says is good and pleasant in a world that doesn't have time or make time for real relationship? That brings us to our three points of application this morning. Here they are. Dwell, delve, and dedicate. Dwell, delve, and dedicate. Let's jump into the first one. Dwell. We need to take note of the fact that David says dwell. As I said earlier, dwell is about living and being with one another. It requires physical and relational closeness and proximity. But we often struggle with those things. We struggle with proximity and permanence. In our American culture, Our homes, oftentimes, our homes, whatever that is, whether you live in a a townhouse or an apartment or a single-family home or a condo, our homes oftentimes are castles to hide in instead of community centers to do life in. Then we get home, we shut the doors, and we shut the windows, and we're like, all right, we're good. Don't talk to anybody anymore. 
That's kind of our American culture mentality sometimes. But here's something we need to seek to understand and believe. The gospel is geographical in nature. It's it's for a people. It's for a person in a particular place. We see this pictured in John chapter 1, verse 14, talking about Jesus. It says, And the Word, meaning Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. He dwelt among us. He, He came. He didn't save us from a distance. He walked into the city of Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. He didn't stand outside of it. He didn't stay distant and away from it and just kind of phone it in. No, he, he walked in. He was around people. He came to us as one of us to rescue us. So gospel community then cannot be phoned in. Being connected to the church cannot happen from a distance, both literally and figuratively. Podcast sermons and online church services are not God's best for you. This is important. This is the importance to place. It's the importance to to physicality, to actually being with one another. That's why this is a blessing for us to gather together each week on a Sunday to look forward in expectation that we get to be around our brothers and sisters that we get to hear one another sing, that we get to shake one another's hands, that we get to take communion with one another. It's a blessing to be reminded that you are not alone, that you're part of something bigger than yourself. Gathering in a physical place is the body of Christ, sitting here on Sundays, but then also gathering in one another's homes, breaking bread with one another, sharing life with one another. It's invaluable, it's necessary for your good and for the good of those around you. So we have to understand that social media and texting cannot replace hugs, handshakes, and hearing one another's voice. They can't. I'm not saying we can't utilize those things to encourage one another and bless one another. We can and we should. But we have to go beyond that as God's people to embrace one another and welcome one another into each other's lives. We are physical and spiritual beings In those two aspects of our lives, they interact with one another. And so part of this is being physically present with your family, dwelling together in community. Last week, we talked about the goal, the desire to linger long with the Lord. Something else we should long for is to linger long with one another. But I think oftentimes we're at a disadvantage in our American culture. We don't make time to do this because there's so much to do. And so everything is so planned, it's so scheduled out. Many of us don't have time for impromptu drop-ins or visits from one another. But so many other cultures, this is a normal way of life. But man, I love when that happens. I love when people stop by. I love when I hear about impromptu trips to the park with moms that are staying at home with their kids. Or, hey, we're all going out to this place to grab dinner. Do you want to join us? When I, not even just for me personally, but here when you guys are doing things like that, that's encouraging to me that you're reaching out to your family, inviting them to come along with you in life. The unhurried living of life with one another is a precious gift to us. Again, again it takes effort, it takes time, it takes intentionality, it takes forethought. In saying that drop-ins are great and that we should look forward to those things and do more of those, what I'm not saying is that scheduling is bad. It's okay to plan. It's okay to think ahead. Thomas Fuller, a pastor from many, many years ago, says this, it is best to be with those in time we hope to be with in eternity. Man, that takes time to think about that. We're going to spend all of eternity with one another Maybe we should start working on our relationships now. So let me ask you a question. Are you planning time to spend with your brothers and sisters in community? Maybe it's just sitting down each week and thinking about the weeks ahead and saying, who are we going to spend time with? Who am I going to spend time with? Intentionally so. To encourage them and be encouraged by them. What is one way that you can intentionally seek to dwell with one another in community? And take that this week. Think on it. Pray on it. Talk about it in a community group. 
Maybe that's a good place to start. How are you connecting with the people in your community group? The people you serve with on a Sunday morning? What's one thing that you can do? But let me point out something that's probably pretty obvious. Dwelling together doesn't necessarily mean that things are easy. I'm certainly not perfect and oftentimes just straight up messy. Which leads to our next point, delve. See, David doesn't say it's just dwelling, being in close proximity to one another. It's dwelling in unity. It's being united together in common bond and common purpose, pursuit, and vision. Together as God's people, we are called to advance his global glory amongst our neighbors and the nations. Together, we are the body of Christ, gifted in different ways. But when we unite together, fitted together under the headship of Jesus, we can be and do everything he's called us to be and do. And so this means that being a gospel family means that we also have gospel partnership. You cannot be faithful. You cannot function on your own. And so in order to do that, we need to delve. Delve means to to dive in, to go deep, to dig up, to mine, to jump in. And so practically speaking, this means getting involved in one another's lives in a real and meaningful way to help one another grow to maturity, to grow into Christ-likeness. Again, it takes time. It takes intentionality. Gathering on Sunday is a blessing to us, but it's not just that. Community can't just stop at 12 o'clock on Sundays when we're done. It goes beyond that. It's connecting in meaningful ways throughout the week of sharing life together. I mean, real life, our struggles, our, our sin, our victories, our hopes, our dreams, our disappointments, our despair, our joys, our unbelief, our faith. And so that's going to require you and me to be vulnerable with one another. It's going to require risk. Putting ourselves out there, unsure of how someone might respond, and it certainly requires us to slow down, to speak to one another, and to listen. But when we do this, there will be difficulty. There will be challenges. There will be uncomfortable moments. At times, there will be conflict and tension. Because we all still have sin that we're wrestling with. We still struggle with selfishness. We are all still in process, even as we try to help one another. But listen, even in that, even knowing that it's going to be hard at times, it's still worth it because God is with us. And as he's working in us, he's working in us so that he might work through us. See, when God's people are unified, it's then that moment that they're set apart and they're able to carry out their calling to advance the glory of God in all the world. They are like oil on the beard of Aaron being set apart, and they are like the dew that transfers from one mountain to the next, advancing the glory of God to those around them. But let me say this. We need to be aware. We need to be on guard, not with one another. We need to recognize that this kind of unity, this Helping one another glorify and enjoy God, our enemy hates it. Absolutely hates it. Because when we gather together and we're functioning well with one another, it's a display of the gospel that what Jesus said he came to do, he actually came to do. That when people in different life stages that look different, when men and women know how to have healthy relationships with one another in community, when people who have a lot and have a little can exist, coexist with one another as a family together, man, the enemy hates that. And Satan, he doesn't have a whole lot of tricks. He doesn't have a whole lot of tactics. He doesn't have a whole lot of schemes. But the ones he does have, he's really good at. And I think one of his primary tools is to bring about disunity and division among God's people. He is excellent at that. And so we need to recognize that and and think that kind of makes sense that he would try to do those kinds of things because when we're disunified, we're distracted. When there's division, we are distracted from what God would have for us. And so as we strive to be a community rooted, formed, and founded on the gospel of grace, we need to think about the things that destroy unity. We need to be on guard against those things and be quick to repent 
when we recognize them in our own hearts and our own lives. So what are some things that cause disunity? Gossip, slander, selfish ambition, conceit, pride, envy of one another, jealousy of one another, having a critical spirit, comparison, competition, complaining, laziness, love of self, not believing the best in one another, not bearing with one another. But it goes even beyond that, a step further. The craftiness of the enemy and the subtleness of our own sin. At times, we can believe that we are trying to help one another when we're actually hurting one another. We can believe that we are loving one another when actually what we're doing is just heaping more burdens on each other. In church, oftentimes, we are quick to critique, but slow to encourage. Instead of building one another up, We bite and devour one another. And Paul says in the book of Galatians that when we do that, we destroy each other. The Bible is full of one another commands. It's full of one another commands, things that we are called to do as we delve into one another's lives. And I encourage you to go look them up. There's 40 or so different ones. Man, oftentimes, I think we like to add to the one another's that God calls us to. Just this week, another pastor pointed this out in a blog post. He said it's striking to notice that the one another's that do not appear in Scripture. For example, we are never called to sanctify one another, humble one another, scrutinize one another, pressure one another, embarrass one another, corner one another, interrupt one another, defeat one another, sacrifice one another, shame one another one another, marginalize one another, exclude one another, judge one another, run one another's lives and confess one another's sins. When we do those things, we're not set apart to be a city on a hill, to be a beacon of light and life in a dark world. We're not in a place to be a a community and a people of hope and peace and joy Another pastor says in community, when flaws or intentions to grow are given no room, when perfection to the desired standard isn't met, a person leaves rather than joining in. Man, when that happens, it makes me sad. It breaks my heart. Because that's not what God would have for us, and it doesn't have to be that way. Because how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. How beautiful and necessary it is when the gospel brings us together as family. True unity and community is a blessing from above. And so you and I have to pray for God's help. We have to pray for his empowerment to be this kind of community. A community that's only explainable because of the gospel. Listen, a community of the redeemed means that we are going to be a community of the messy. Because we're still in process. God's still working on us, and that's okay. But as another pastor says in his book, Befriend, Scott Saul's a book about friendship, says this, there are other, less real versions of friendship. The less real versions are less because they're less costly, less committed, less disruptive, less scary, less gritty, less gutsy, and less out of control than real friendship. But less real versions of friendship are also less rich. I don't know about you, but I want that. I want a rich and a deep friendship, even though it's going to be difficult at times. So let's delve in with one another in love and grace for the glory of God and the good of one another. Let me ask you another question. What's one thing that you can do to delve deep to open up your life to one another, to allow others into your life, to get involved in their lives. It doesn't have to be anything extravagant. Maybe it's just going to someone today and say, genuinely asking, how are you? How can I pray for you? Is there anything I can do to serve you? And that speaks life into people's lives. What's one thing that you can do to delve in? Maybe when somebody's missing from your community group, 
Maybe when you look around on a Sunday morning and you see someone that's not here, maybe it's been a week or two weeks, that you reach out to them and say, brother, sister, I missed you. Did I just not see you? Are you okay? And delve in with one another. This leads to our last point of application, dedicate. If we are going to live out good and pleasant vision of gospel community that David talks about in Psalm 103, we have to be dedicated to one another. Dwelling in unity requires commitment. It requires ownership. It's why church membership is so important. There's a covenant commitment made with one another that says that we are here with one another, that we will be for one another, that we're along with one another in the journey. And that's just it. We're on a journey together. We're running a race with one another. And man, it's so much better to run a race with someone next to you, running alongside with you. Because at times and points on that race, when you're willing to give up, when you're willing to throw it all the way, you just feel that, that feeling start to creep up and say, is it worth it? You have that brother, that sister alongside of you saying, yes, keep going. And there's other times when you're that person for them, encouraging them to keep going. You help each other move forward. And there's times also when you'll just straight up carry one another. We need each other. God created us this way. And commitment and dedication says we will be here. We will not leave you or forsake you, just like our good God did not leave us or forsake us. Listen, we will sin against one another. We will disappoint one another. We will hurt each other. We will let each other down at times. We will not always get it right. But let that not cause you to withdraw, but to press in to bear with one another, to forgive as you have been forgiven, as Paul says in Colossians 3. Man, when, when things are hard, when people challenge you, when people disappoint you, when they sin against you, don't run. Stick it out. Weather the storm and praise God for the gift of this messy group of people who God is working in, just like you, who are saved by Jesus and are in the process of being made like him. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, Life Together, a great book. We're actually going to hand a couple of copies of it out today. He says this about community. He says, if we do not give thanks daily for the Christian fellowship in which we have been placed, even where there's no great experience, no discoverable riches, but much weakness, small faith, and difficulty. If on the contrary, we keep complaining to God that everything is so paltry and petty, so far from what we expected then we hinder God from letting our fellowship grow according to the measure and riches which are there for us all in Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say, Christian brotherhood is not an ideal which we must realize. It is rather a a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. And that takes dedication and commitment. It takes dwelling and delving And so in the midst of a hurried life, it is worth slowing down and taking time to truly be with God's people. It's not a matter of if you'll be connected, but how will you be? So how will you be connected? What step can you take? Maybe it's walking through the membership process. Maybe it's getting into a community group. Maybe it's just inviting someone over for dinner. My desire is that we'd be a community of true brotherhood and sisterhood, of true family, where we care for and are cared for, where there's mutual concern. Because God has providentially and purposefully planted you here in Northern Virginia and here in this community. You are not here by mistake. You are not here by accident. You are here because God wants you to be here. And I say that for you, whether you're a follower of Christ or you're not. God has brought you to be here today, here now. So what does it look like for you to jump in? And don't sit on the sidelines. Don't hold people at an arm's length. Don't fill your life up so much that you have so little time for those God has placed in your life. Plant roots. Open up your life to others. Invite others in and pursue those around you. Dwell, delve, dedicate, and then stand back. And praise God along with David and declare, behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Sojourn, and that is life.
we're going to come to the table this morning. And as we come to the table, we're coming together to a family meal. We're able to come to this table because of what Jesus has done for us. And we come to the table to be reminded of what he's done for us. That as you eat the bread, you're reminded that Christ's body was broken for you. As you take the cup and drink, you're reminded that Christ's blood was shed for you. And shed for us, together as a family. Not because we deserve it, not because we figured it out. Because of grace upon grace to reconcile us to God and to one another. And so that's a gift of encouragement and an act of worship. And so as you come forward this morning, look around. Be thankful that your blood-bought brothers and sisters are coming together with you. And then let's sing together in worship. Thankful for the fact that God has reconciled us to Him and to one another. Whether life is good right now or it's really difficult right now. That we get to journey with one another. But let me also exhort you. If there is someone here this morning who you are at odds with. Someone that you've sinned against. Let me encourage you before you come and eat the bread and take the cup that you would go find that brother or sister and you would confess and ask for forgiveness for them and then come together to the table, reconciled with one another, celebrating the fact that because of Christ, you can do that. For those of you that are not followers of Christ, let me just ask you not to come forward this morning because this meal is a declaration of our hope in Jesus. But our hope for you is that you would take Christ and that you would become a part of this family. And so if you're not yet a follower of Christ, just hang out in your seat. Pray. Ask God to show himself to you. If you're ready to start a relationship with Jesus, tell God that this morning. I want this. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know what it means exactly, but I want it. And man, let somebody know. Tell somebody you came with this morning. Come tell me after the service. We'd love to journey with you in that. For those of you that will come forward, you can come to the front or to the back. Tear off a piece of bread take one of the small cups to drink, and what Jesus has done for us will be spoken over you this morning. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for the family that you've given us, as messy as we are. Lord, we praise you that in your providence you've called us to be here in Fairfax in Northern Virginia, and you've called us to be here a part of this community. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to be a family together. I pray that you would help us to walk in unity with one another, to dwell and delve and dedicate, that we might honor you, that we might glorify you, that we might help each other become who you desire for us to be. We are better together than we are isolated and separate and distant. So, Lord, we pray that you do that work in us. Help us to be faithful to what you've called us to, and then help us to go out from this place and invite others in they too might experience your grace through Christ and your grace through this community. We love you. We thank you for your love for us. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.